Amen, amen. If you would, let's take out our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. It's pretty hard when you preach to have to lead the music and give the announcements and everything like that, especially when you have to talk about the preacher. How you're looking forward to hearing the message tonight. I'm not looking forward to hearing the message tonight if I'm preaching. I used to have a young adult, I mean a teenager in my youth um, group when I was a youth pastor over at Canaan Baptist Church in Covington, Georgia. This was almost 20 years ago. He's a full adult. He's pastoring now a church in Monticello, but he was a young preacher there. And his uh, girlfriend at the time, they were allowed to drive, um, he was allowed to drive her back home after church. And she one time came to me and said, his name was David. He said, Brother Jeremy, I got a question for you. Do you ever listen to you preach? And I said, absolutely not. I cannot stand listening to myself preach. Is anybody else like that? I can't stand it, whether you like me or not. Some of y'all might not be able to stand it, but I can't. I just can't take it. I, I hear every mistake I make, every time I misquote something, and it drives me nuts. I said, no, I don't. She said, well, my boyfriend, after he preaches, he goes home and he plays the tape. He gets the tape and he plays it all the way home, and he's constantly pointing out. He said, that was a good point. Hey, I really stuck it right there. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. I, I just can't do it. But um, I appreciate the opportunity to preach. And um, since it's a Wednesday night, um, I'm going to do more of a teaching thing, a little bit more of a doctrinal sermon. And I think it may be a blessing to you. I think it's very important to know why we believe certain things. There's a lot of people trying to go and confuse the believers and turn them away from the true faith. And um, my message tonight is going to be on why we as Baptists do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. Why we as Baptists do not believe that baptism is necessary to salvation. This came out of a conversation I had um, a while back. Uh, somebody uh, texted me and was wanting the number to the church I used to pastor. And I get calls all the time about Ridgeview Baptist Church, not so much about Bennett Road anymore, but my cell phone number was basically the church number. Someone had to contact somebody. We didn't have a secretary, so I gave out my cell phone number and people would just call me. And they still do call me because that's the number many of them still have. And this person was asking um, for information on the church. And so I said, well, I'm no longer the pastor. And um, I don't have right on hand the pastor's number, so I really can't help you. And they said, well, I'd like to ask you a question. And the question was, why are we Baptists? Why do you have Baptists? There's no Baptist in the Bible. So why in the world do you have a Baptist church? I don't know if anybody's ever heard that before, but dealing with denominations. And that's not going to be my message, but... You know, i got a lot of time, so I need to use some of it up, and I thought this might be a blessing to you. When it comes to denominations, denominations are actually a good thing. A lot of people say that the church of God is, um, is split up with all these denominations. Understand, in the Bible, there's two teachings towards different kinds of churches. There is a universal church, the body of Christ, and every person who trusts in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and has put their faith in Him alone are part of that body of Christ. Denominations do not deal with the church universal. It deals with the local church. And everybody says, why don't we just get rid of the denominations and all of us just come together? Well, there's a problem with that. You see, I'm a Baptist for a reason. There are certain things that I believe that keep me here in a Baptist church. Somebody asked me about it when I was at Tennessee Temple University, and I answered it this way. I am an independent, fundamental Baptist because I believe that this church the independent fundamental Baptist denomination, is the closest thing to the New Testament church that you can find today. 
and if there was something closer to it, I would be that. Would you agree with that? Now, there are other people who disagree with me. I'm not a Methodist. There are Methodists who disagree with our doctrinal statements. They do not believe in baptism by immersion. They do not believe in the autonomy of the local church. There are differences between us and the Methodists. My question is this. If we were to come together with the Methodists, who's going to compromise and give up what they believe in order for us to come together? I'm not Arminian. They believe you can lose your salvation. I believe that once saved, always saved. I believe in the security of the believer. Which, which issue are we going to throw away? You see, it's everybody just says, why don't we come together? Denominations deal with the local church. It is a, a group of people who have the same or similar beliefs about the Bible that come and worship together. And thus there are Baptists, and thus there are Methodists, and thus there are Presbyterians. Understand that just because you're not a Baptist, it does not mean that you're a, not a Christian. Also, it doesn't mean that since you are a Baptist, that you are a Christian. Baptism and Baptists and denominations deal with the local church. The universal church is made up of many different people who don't agree with Jeremy Smith 100% of the time. And I'm thankful for it. Somebody said one time when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by what people actually made it and what people didn't. And I think it's true. So don't get caught up in these denominational arguments. We're Baptists for a reason. We believe it's based on the Word of God. As I said before, if there is anything closer to the New Testament church than an independent, fundamental Baptist, that's what I would be. But by conviction, I am a Baptist. And by the grace of God, I am a Christian. And I'm thankful for it. Now, this same person that was talking to me about denominations also made an issue concerning salvation. He was wondering, why on earth do we teach that salvation is not necessary for salvation? And he started giving me a bunch of verses. My first answer to him is our text verse. I want you all to look at this and just keep it in mind for the rest of the evening. Acts 16.30. This is a story of Paul and the Philippian jailer. Remember Paul and Silas, they were put in jail for preaching the gospel and they praised the Lord Jesus well into the evening, and sometime during the night, an earthquake came and opened all the prison doors. The Philippian jailer comes down and finds all the prison doors open. He figures that everybody's escaped, and he knew what the punishment was for letting a prisoner escape, and that was death. And suicide was preferable than the death that the Romans were going to give him. And so he's about to kill himself, and Paul steps out and tells him not to do it. Everybody's there. He realizes the character of Paul. He heard the message of Paul. He heard the praising of Paul. And at that moment, finally, he says to Paul, one of the greatest questions in all the Bible, if you have not got this underlined, underline this question in Acts 16.30. The Philippian jailer asked Paul, and he says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now here's where we get down to the crux of it. He's asking the Apostle Paul, now think about it. He's not asking Jeremy Smith. I could give my opinion. He's not asking Brother Wayne Cofield even. He's not even asking Billy Graham or the Pope. He's asking the Apostle Paul of all people. The greatest missionary next to the Lord Jesus Christ that ever walked upon the face of the earth. And he asked Paul the question, 
What must I do to be saved? And what is the message of Paul? What is his response? Paul says, Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now I just want to just put it right there. A man asked the Apostle Paul, What do I have to do to be saved? And very simply, he did not get into deep theology. He just put it there right on the spot. And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Plus nothing else. No salvation, no baptism mentioned. No sacraments mentioned. No church attendance even mentioned. What is it? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'd think that was simple, right? That puts it right there. There's no question about it, correct? Well, there's many people who disagree with us on this. And I want to show you very quickly from the Bible their verses that they say supports the teaching that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Let's take out our Bibles. We're going to be using them all night. This is a time to learn. I want you all to see these verses for yourself. The first one is found in Mark chapter 16 in verse number 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 16. Well-known verse. It's right after one of my favorite verses. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It's put on many, many churches have it spelled out. What does it say? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. That's Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And the very next verse is this. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said... He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now here's the first verse. And they said, listen to what it said. It says, believe and be baptized, and then what? You will be saved. Now man, that sounds pretty convincing, right? There's a problem with it. What's the next statement in the verse? It says, and he that believeth not shall be damned, correct? Now, when we look at this verse, I want you to understand something. What is the thing that makes the difference on whether or not you're going to heaven or going to hell? Is it baptism? No. What what did Jesus say? Did He say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that is not baptized shall be damned? No, there's no mention of, of baptism for condemnation, is there? What is the thing that makes the difference? One word. Belief. Belief. Do you believe? Now, understand this. I can put it to you in another way. Somebody gets in a car. If I get in a car and start to drive, am I going to go to where my destination is? I am, right? If I get in the car and put on my seatbelt, am I still going to the same destination? What's the thing that makes the difference? The seatbelt or the car? The car. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that you have to be baptized to be saved. He's just adding that. Hey, the next step in salvation is what? You're saved, and then the next step is baptism. Who are are baptized? Believers. We're going to get into that a little bit more in just a minute. But that's the first thing. Understand that in Mark chapter 16, verse number 16... The crux of the matter on whether or not you're going to hell is not baptism. That is not what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching whether or not you believe or not. That's the first part. 
Now let's look at the second verse that they use. This one will even get a little bit more confusing to some people. Acts chapter number 2, verse 37. Acts chapter number 2, verse 37. When we were reading in Acts chapter 16, we heard the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter number 2, we hear Peter, one of the disciples, 12 disciples, Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost. It says in verse number 37, it says, Now when they, the Jews, and those who were at Pentecost, heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now listen to what Peter said. He said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now that sounds pretty convincing too, doesn't it? He said, repent and be baptized. And I've heard this time and time again from the church of Christ using this verse on us. They say, look, it says, repent and be baptized for what? For the remission of sins. And if you read it the way they want you to read it, they're right. Unfortunately, remember, the word for can mean different things. The word for here is actually a translation of the Greek word ice. And just like the word for can mean different things, so can the Greek word ice. Let me give you an example of it. Um, Actually, let me tell you what the word for actually means here before we get into it. It's not the way we think of it usually as this is in order to get the remission of sins. The word for here is actually in the term of using it as because of the remission of sins. Now, let me explain to you how you would understand that. Have you ever heard this? Take two aspirin for your headache. You ever heard anybody say that? Take two aspirin for your headache. Now, why are you taking the aspirin? Is it in order to get a headache? Or are you taking the aspirin because you have a headache? Which one is it? I hope you're not taking it in order to get a headache. You're messed up if you are. We take aspirin because we have a headache, correct? And this, what Peter is saying here is, and be baptized, not in order to get the remission of sins, in order to get it, but you are to be baptized because you have received the remission of sins. Do you see the difference there? Just like we take two aspirin for a headache, we don't take it to get the headache, we take it because we already have the headache. We are baptized not in order to get the remission of sins, but because we have already had the remission of sins. Jesus Christ has already forgiven us. And so we follow as believers on for with baptism. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now, one more of these verses. This is a good one. Turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Verse number 20. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 20, the Bible says, "...which sometime were disobedient," talking about unbelievers before the flood, "...when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah..." while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what it says here. Baptism is being compared 
to the story of Noah. He's saying that the water, by the water, Noah and his family were saved. Just a few people, only eight, were saved. We're going to park right here just for a minute and look at the figure of the flood. Now, i got a question for you. What actually saved Noah? Was it the flood water that saved him, or was it the ark that he chose to get into? Which one is it? It's the ark. By the way, this is an interesting thing about being saved through baptism as well, by what many people believe. Understand that every person on the earth encountered the flood water. Every person did. Eight of them encountered it in the ark. The rest of them encountered it outside of the ark. The believers were on the inside of the ark. The unbelievers were on the outside of the ark. Both of them encountered the flood. What happened to the unbelievers? They encounter the water, and it destroys every one of them, correct? But the believers who are in the ark, instead of the water destroying them, what does the water do? Lifts them up. Keeps them above the flood. And they ride it out on the ark. Understand when it comes to salvation, without belief, baptism means nothing and can do nothing either. The unbeliever who gets into the baptismal water goes in a dry center and comes out a wet center. Just like in the days of Noah when those people encountered the flood, the unbelievers were destroyed. While the believers who were in the ark were buoyed up upon the ark. Understand very interestingly either, did any of the people in the ark actually touch the water? No, they were high and dry in the ark, correct? But picture it here. Salvation is in the ark, and what is surrounded by it is water. What the outside showed, the water showed, was the safety and the salvation of God. On the inside, they were all saved. On the outside was a picture of what had already happened on the inside of the ark. Those people were still alive. And why was it? Because of belief. Notice the next statement in verse number 21. Notice it says, the like figure. What does it mean, like figure? The flood is actually a picture of it. It's a symbol of salvation, of baptism. And notice it says that where the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Again, what saved them? Was it the water or was it the ark? It was the ark. All the water did was show that these people were spared. You looked at the water, and all you could see was the ark. Salvation. Everything else that was on this earth was covered over. You couldn't see anything else. You could only see the salvation of the Lord. Now consider this a little bit further. Notice it says, Even baptism does also now save us. Look at what's in parenthesis here. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Peter here is saying it's not to put away sin. Not the filth, not the sin of the flesh, that fleshly life we had before, that's not what it's doing. It's not washing away our sins. As I said before, you go in a dry center, you come out a, de- a wet center. Salvate your sins are washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. But look at the next statement. But what this baptism is, is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, I think there's a tragedy in baptisms today. Our baptism is still good. I'm not saying anything like that. But we have a lack of understanding 
what baptism is truly supposed to mean. It is an announcement, a proclamation, a pledge, an answer being made by the new believer that he is stepping away from the old man and he's stepping forward into the new life in Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. When the flood came, Moses's, I mean Noah's old life was completely washed away. And when the flood left and Noah got out of the ark, what did he come into? It was a new world. Were there any of the old trappings of the world? No, all of that had been washed away. You can't go anywhere and dig up anything that used to exist. No works of man or anything that existed before the flood. It was completely wiped away. And what was before Noah was a new life where only believers go into those who are in the ark. And for the Christian, baptism shows us in a, as a symbolic thing that our old life, we are walking away from it. We are dead to our old life. And now we're going to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Moreover, in the early church, the New Testament church, that was quite a statement to make. You're stepping away from paganism, from false Judaism, and you're walking now into Christianity. You are saying, I'm no longer attached to any of those things which were in my past. And that was a great sacrifice to many people. A lot of times people didn't get big pats on the back. And it cost them something to make that kind of proclamation. So Peter is saying here, what it is, is a like figure. It's a symbol of what has gone on in our life. When we go into the baptismal waters as born-again believers, it is a picture of the work that Jesus Christ has already done in us. As a preacher one time said, it is an outward symbol of an inward transformation. The baptismal waters do not save. It's a picture of the flood. The flood waters did not save. They destroyed. It was the ark that saved. Not disbelief, but believing. Now, another problem with these verses is that these verses have to fit in with every other verse on salvation in the Bible. They have to work together. They cannot be in conflict with each other. So instead of showing you their verses, which you notice are very few, three passages in the Bible. Let's look at the passages in the Bible that show that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to the book of John. John chapter 3, verse 18. John chapter 3, verse 18. You may say, Brother Smith, why don't you just use John 3, 16? That's a good verse. I'm not using it because of time. And John 3, 18 is much better illustration of what we're trying to learn. Look here in John chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking here, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he wasn't baptized? No, why is he condemned? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's pretty, pretty straightforward, correct? Let's take another step. Go to John chapter 5, verse 24. Two chapters over. This is Jesus speaking again. Jesus said, Verily, verily, that means truly, truly. He's saying this is the truth. If you can take it to the bank is what Jesus is saying here. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Any mention of baptism? What is it? Belief. That believeth on, um, believeth that Jesus is the Christ is the key to salvation. Let's go to one more passage in the book of John. This is not Jesus speaking here, but John speaking. John chapter 20, verse 31. John says, But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. So here in the Gospel of John, what is the teaching of salvation? What is the key to having salvation? Belief. Believing. Belief and not baptism. Let's take another step forward. Let's hear John again. 1 John 5.13. 1 John 5.13. John says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He said he's writing it to believers so they might know that they have eternal life. Why is he writing? He's writing for them to understand that believing in Jesus will give them life. Now, we've already looked at um, the book of Acts chapter 16, verse number 30. Paul was talking to the Philippian jailer. Again, the Philippian jailer asked him, What must I do to be saved? And what did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe! on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Paul would say again in Romans 10, 9, I had to remember these as a boy learning the Romans road in master clubs. <laughs> I had to remember these verses. Romans 10, 9 through 10, the Bible says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What did Paul say? Did Paul mention baptism? Absolutely not. Peter, talking to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, as he's preaching, he says to him, this is salvation to give him, to him give all the prophets witness, talking of Jesus, that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive the remission of sins. It is not baptism that washes our sins away. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that gives us the remission of sins. Paul even said this concerning baptism. He said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, listen to this now. Paul, the great missionary, the great preacher of the gospel, whose one desire was to see souls saved, he said, my one prayer to God, my one desire to God is to see Israel be saved. Yet he was the, pro the apostle to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles might know Jesus Christ. He was all about seeing men saved. Great missionary that he was. Yet he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of known effect. Look at that again. 1 Corinthians 1.17. He said, God, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel. Now think about it for a minute. What Paul has just done in that verse is said, baptism is not part 
of the gospel. He said, I wasn't coming here to baptize you. I was coming to preach the gospel. But he's all about being um, about saving people. Yet he would also say to the same church, the same Corinthian church, he said, I thank God that I baptized none of you. I don't think I'd ever say to you, Brother Randy, if I led you to the Lord, I thank God that I didn't lead you to the Lord. I thank God I never saw Jeremy Hall saved. I thank God that Brother Andrew never knew the Lord. You see, he understood that baptism was not necessary for salvation. It was not part of the gospel. If it was part of the gospel, then Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have never uttered those words and never wrote them to the Corinthian church. Baptism is not necessary to salvation. Now they still say, you don't have to say it over and over again. Oh, you only need one verse to back it up. Well, that's kind of a problem when you just use only one verse to back up any part of your theology. But if you don't believe me so far, let me give you an illustration of people in the Bible who were saved without being baptized. People in the Bible who were saved without being baptized. The first one is well known, the thief on the cross. You've seen it before. Look in your Bibles. Luke chapter number 23, verse 40. Luke chapter number 23, verse 40. We see the story of the thief on the cross. There were two thieves hanging, hanging on the cross, their crosses beside Jesus. One on one side, the unbeliever railed against Jesus, and another, who earlier had mocked and railed against Jesus, seeing Jesus in His character and who He was, forgiving those who had crucified Him, something happened to Him. And He says something wonderful from the cross. This thief that was hanging said this, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He recognizes the sinlessness of Christ. And he says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We see salvation right there. This thief is hanging on the cross. He has no opportunity to be baptized. They're not going to take him off the cross and let him go through that ritual. They're not going to do it. He had no opportunity, yet Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now many people make this kind of argument. They say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that the thieves, thieves died before Jesus died. And they said, thus they died in a previous dispensation where they didn't need to be baptized. But there's a problem with that. The Bible does say that the thieves died after Jesus did. The Bible says in the book of John concerning the crucifixion that they came and they broke the legs of the two thieves on the cross and when they came to Jesus, they did not break His legs because they saw, as the book of John says, that He was already dead. Why did they break the thieves' legs? Because they were alive and they needed to die quickly. Why didn't they break the legs of Jesus? Because He was already dead. The thief died after Jesus did. That argument doesn't hold water. Yet some people still say, you've got to show someone else. So I will show you someone else. Look in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 43. We have the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius, the very first Gentile convert, 
the first Gentile convert, Cornelius. Peter goes to his house. He preaches the gospel to him. We're going to start in verse 43, as we have already read in the previous verses, but I want you to see it again. Peter's preaching to this man and to his, his household, and he says, concerning Jesus, "...to Jesus give all the prophets witness, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins." While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which also which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now stop right here. Peter's preaching the gospel to them. Now I want you all to picture this. They're in, in Cornelius' house. Peter is preaching the gospel to these men, and as he's preaching the gospel to them, the message ain't even over yet. Peter is not given an invitation. No one has walked the aisle, yet as he's preaching the gospel to them, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost falls on them, and they begin to speak in tongues, just like Peter and the twelve disciples spoke with tongues on the day of Pentecost. They were speaking in tongues. This was a sign of the gift of the Holy Ghost, that they had received the Holy Ghost, that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. It was an undeniable token of what had already happened in them. Notice, they didn't ask any questions. They were hearing the message and they believed. They believed what He said. They agreed with it. They trusted in Jesus. They didn't even need an invitation. They had already trusted in Jesus Christ from what Peter had told them. And just like on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to speak with other tongues. And Peter recognized it immediately. And the other Jewish converts understood it immediately what had happened. Now look at the response of Peter. Look again here in this passage. It says, Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Notice something. When did they get saved? Before they were baptized or after they were baptized? Before. You see, lost people don't receive the Holy Ghost. Lost people don't receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the natural man cannot receive them. They cannot understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. You can't understand the gift of the Holy Spirit without having the Holy Spirit. You cannot use the gifts of the Holy Spirit without already having the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? Yes, you do, correct? These people received Jesus Christ before the message was over, before the invitation was given, and before a salvation prayer was asked for them to repeat. You see, it's not what prayer you pray. There's nothing special or magical about the prayer you pray. What matters is, do you believe in Jesus with all your heart? And these people did. And before they were able to go through the baptismal pool, they had showed every sign that they were born-again believers. So we see already in the Bible two examples of two people who we know are saved, who were saved before they were baptized or without receiving baptism. 
You see, salvation is not necessary. I mean, baptism is not necessary for salvation because there are problems that arise from that false doctrine. Let me give you three problems that arise from the false teaching of baptismal regeneration. When I'm done with this, we'll be done with the message. Hear this. Number one, the first false teaching that arises out of this is the false teaching of infant baptism. Infant baptism. You see, if you believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, and if a person is not baptized, they cannot go to heaven, that's going to put a fear in a lot of people. Think about those little babies that are born. Those cute little babies. They can't, when they're one, when they're a few months old, they can't open their mouth and ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart. Their mind can't conceive the teachings of Jesus Christ and their heart is not yet ready to receive the message of Jesus Christ. What if one of these little babies die? Back 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, back to the first century A.D., Many little babies die before they were um, able to grow up enough to learn and understand the message of the gospel. They were afraid, and the teaching of many people in many churches was that if any of those babies died, they went to hell because they were not able to receive baptism. They were not able to believe. Now, we do not believe that today. I want you all to understand something, that little children, we believe, are under grace. Of Jesus, under the grace of Jesus Christ, that until they are able to understand the gospel message and the plain teaching of the gospel, I believe that every little baby that tragically dies on this earth goes to heaven and will be in heaven when we get there. I believe that. There's no fear of baptism, but yet so many people were afraid. They figured out that what they needed to do as soon as possible was to baptize the little babies. We don't want them to go to hell and everybody would say, that sounds decent, that sounds agreeable. We don't want these people to go to hell. They believe that somehow through the baptismal water this little baby would receive grace even though he has no way of believing. So they came up with something that you may have heard of before. Anybody ever heard of a godfather? Not the movie, but you've heard of, and not the pizza, but a godfather. You've ever heard of that? What is a godfather? A godfather stands for the baby when it's being baptized and he makes the statement of faith for that child. Am I right, Brother Mark? He makes the statement of faith for that little child in order for that child to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let me make sure you understand something. We believe in something called believer's baptism, that you cannot be baptized until you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, where do we get that teaching? Look in the book of Acts. I want to show it to you very quickly. Acts chapter number 8, verse 36. This is a story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says in verse number 36, And as they, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now this next verse is not found in modern versions for the most part. I think maybe the New King James still has it in there, but the NIV... They just skip this verse, but it's an important verse to understand why we believe in believer's baptism. Look at verse number 37. It says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. What did Philip say was necessary to be baptized? Belief. Correct. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they went down into the water, and he was baptized. 
So the first false doctrine that comes out of this idea of salvation, I mean baptismal regeneration, is the teaching of infant baptism. In fact, many people, because they were baptized as babies, feel that that's what locks them into heaven. And they don't listen to any more to the preaching of the gospel. It is a terrible doctrine that sends many people to hell. Because no one can be baptized unless they believe. Not their godparents, not their mom and dad, not their grandfather. They must believe before they're baptized. So we see that. Second is this. Because of this teaching of infant baptism, there is also another fear that what if somebody's on their deathbed and they accept Jesus Christ? How are we going to baptize them? We can't pull a sickly man off his bed and take him over into some cold water and immerse him in there. What are we going to do? We can't do that to him. He may die before we even get there. So another tip problem that came up is this. The church of that day, many people started to believe falsely in different modes of baptism. Now the word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo. And the Greek word simply means this, to immerse. That's what it means. The word baptize literally means to immerse. What does immerse mean? All the way in the water, and you bring them out. That's baptize. That's what the Greek word means, to immerse. Yet, sickly people, they can't be immersed. It might even kill them in the process. Or a baby, you can't take a baby and dunk them all the way in the water. They started to come up with different modes of baptism. One of them was sprinkling. Anybody ever seen sprinkling? They take just a little bit of water and put it on the head. There's another one called effusion. They take a cup of water, and instead of sprinkling it, they pour it on the head. Well, I knew of a preacher um, in Eastridge, Tennessee, that would baptize in a unique way. He would take three cups of water when someone was going to be baptized. They didn't have a baptismal pool in their church. He would stand beside the pulpit. The other person would stand a little bit away like this, and that guy would pull out three cups and he'd throw one cup at their head. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the second one at their chest, the name of the Son, and the last one at their feet in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that's how he baptized. Strange, but it's not correct. The correct mode of baptism is baptism by immersion. Yet the false teaching that someone has to be baptized in order to be saved made other modes of baptism start to be springing up. In order to get these people covered, they might get to heaven. But you see, for a believer who has a correct understanding of baptism, the man who is on his deathbed and he gets saved before he's able to ever get back up and go to church and be baptized has no fear of going to hell. You see, because it isn't the baptismal pool that saves you again. It is what? Your faith in Jesus Christ. So we see that infant baptism springs out of this false teaching of baptismal regeneration. False modes of baptism spring out of this false teaching of baptism. And the final one is this. It creates a salvation that depends on another person besides Christ. Think about it. A person gets saved and there's no one to baptize them. Oh no. What's going to happen to them? What if you're saved and you go to a person to be baptized and they don't want to baptize you? What are you going to do? You see, your salvation, if baptismal regeneration is necessary for salvation, your, bab your salvation requires another person besides Jesus Christ. It is no longer simply a decision that you make. 
It also requires a decision that another makes. And that is false. You see, your ability to come to know Jesus Christ relies 100% upon you. There's nothing I can do to save you. There's nothing Brother Wayne can do to save you. There's no magical act that we can do. There's no trick of the wrist or anything like that. It all depends on you. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you 100% put your faith in Him? I really hope you have. I look at everyone in here. Usually people that come on Wednesday night are the MVPs of the church. They show up. Amen. And I appreciate every one of you. I believe, just from interacting with you, that everybody in here is saved, but I could be wrong. There may be someone in here today that hasn't put their trust in Jesus Christ. Have you heard the message that Paul told the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You can do that right now. Just put your trust in Him. You don't need an invitation. Put your trust in Him. Put your trust in Him. Ask Him to come into your heart and save you. And if you believe with all your heart, you will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, there may be some people in here that's been blessed by this message because they've had a lot of confusion concerning that. There's a lot of Church of Christ here. And let me tell you, Church of Christ is a cult, just like the Mormons are, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses are. In fact, they're worse than the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses because out of the Church of Christ, every one of those cults came out of it. Did you know that? The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons all sprang out of the Church of Christ. They are called the mother of all cults and they lead people astray. Don't fall into their false doctrine. Jesus Christ wants you to be saved. Jesus Christ wants you to be sure of your salvation. It doesn't matter if you've been to the baptismal pool or not. What matters is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Understanding me preaching this, I am not degrading the importance of baptism. Baptism is necessary. And there may be a person here who has trusted Jesus Christ, yet has neglected to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. If that's the case, you will never be in the will of God until you obey Him in baptism. I would encourage you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism.